0: you're listening to Ottawa's Baseball Show. It's Around the Diamond with Diamond Dante and Mike Nellis on CKDJ 1079, home of the Ottawa Champions. Welcome to the third edition of Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 1079, home of your Ottawa Champions. It's Diamond Dante here running this show solo as uh, Mr. Mike Nellis is... uh, Just got back from Nunavut and he's he's in hibernation right now. You know, the cold must have got to him or something. But anyways, uh, the Diamond is here and ready to talk baseball. And to start off the hour, we're going to talk about the AL West review. We're going to break down the whole AL West as it's going to be a very tough division. People are saying that it's the best division in baseball. And to start off, I'm going to give you my one to five where they're going to slot in the division. And I honestly think Houston's going to win the AL West. And the reason is, it's because they added uh, some two key pieces in the offseason. They added a guy in Ken Giles, who should be their closer. Very good wipeout slider and a good fastball. Hits around 100 miles an hour. Watched him play. And another guy, you know, Carlos Correa. Altuve is going to be a lot better, but we'll get to that in a minute. Coming in second is the Texas Rangers. Put up a good series against the Toronto Blue Jays. I honestly think they will probably get the first wildcard spot. They're a good team. They have Cole Hamels and. Um, are looking to, uh, are poised for, uh, for a better season with the young pitching prospects that they have. Coming in third is the LA Angels. They added some key players in the offseason, Yunel Escobar and even Andleton Simmons. Uh, they say that him hitting in the sixth spot will give them a little more power and uh, more of an aggressive swing. And of course, their pitching rotation is a little bit average, but once again, we'll get to the LA Angels in just a minute. Coming slotting in fourth is the Seattle Mariners. Didn't do much in the offseason, but they did actually add uh, Nori Aoki and Adam Lynn. Lynn, they got in a trade from the Milwaukee Brewers. He's a good right-handed hitter. He's probably going to platoon at first base with a guy like Jesus Montero. Other than that, slotting in at the bottom of the division is, of course, the Oakland Athletics. The Athletics are in a rebuilding stage right now, but you can never really count them out. So they're my sleeper at this point. They do have some... Average players, but guys that can definitely play. Josh Reddick being one of them. And a guy in Chris Davis, who is apparently uh, a top five underrated player coming into the season, according to uh, some LLB scouts. Yeah, and and you know to start off with Houston, they um, added a guy in Ken Giles. As I mentioned, he is uh, he throws very, very hard, about 100 miles an hour, with a very good wipeout slider. And they also added a guy in Doug Fisher who is a good left-handed pitcher, who has one of the best 12-6 curveballs in the league. And... I'm going to name a couple players that are going to be top 100 players in this league. Carlos Correa, a top 10 shortstop for sure. Probably the best shortstop in the league besides Mr. Troy Tulewitzki. Jose Altuve is at second base. Probably one of the better du- double play combinations coming into this season. Dallas Keuchel's coming off a Cy Young Award season. And Carlos Gomez is in center field and Springer is in right field. Their lineup looks very good. Colby Rasmus is slotted in in the four spot. We'll get to that as well. And, of course... Their pitching rotation is very underrated. Dallas Keuchel, Mike Fiers, Colin McHugh, and Doug Fisher Their bullpen is probably their strongest point. They they have Ken Giles, Luke Gregerson, Tony Sipp had an excellent season last year. But honestly, with the talent that they have on this team and all the young players, they are poised for another excellent season. They made the wild card spot, but I think that they can go farther than that. Coming in second, uh, we're going to go over to the Texas Rangers. Uh, going do a little something about them they added Ian Desmond and Tom Wallamson. he's a good right-handed pitcher in the bullpen and of course Justin Ruziano to add a little more depth on the bench they lost uh Giovanni Gallardo but once again some young players on their team Cole Hamels is going to lead the rotation and they have some you know a couple starters that are prospects Nick Martinez and Martin Perez are all poised for a breakout season uh, two excellent pitchers at the back end of the rotation, and one guy that I really like to watch is a guy in Sam Dyson. Excellent fastball. A lot of movement on that two seam, and he can really throw. Uh, you know, Rounding out the rest of the division, I'm just going to touch on the last three teams, and that is the LA Angels. You look at what they did. They could honestly outdo the Texas Rangers. I don't know if Texas can do the same thing that they did last year, but I'm going to stick with them in second. But the Angels could easily pass them. They're slotted in third for me, and the reason is is because they added a guy in UnaL Escobar who hit over 300 last year and he was a top 100 player at third base. Daniel Nava, excellent switch hitter, can really hit the lefties uh, from, the white, from the right side. Mike Trout, everybody knows what he can do. Pooh holes behind him. and and children Simmons, they just acquired him. He's going to be an excellent player as well. and they also added a new catcher in Giovanni Soto, who uh, excellent defender. And can really, you know, hit the ball as well. He was a former Rookie of the Year with the Cubs a couple years ago. The rotation is a little bit average. Hector Santiago looks like he's going to be their number two. And Garrett Richards is going to be the ace. Besides that, the same old, same old. They have Matt Shoemaker, Andrew Heaney, and Jared Weaver. And we know Jared Weaver is getting a little bit older. And C.J. Wilson is on the injured reserve list. When he comes back, they'll have a little bit more depth. And here's an interesting stat. Houston Street is their closer, and he's actually uh, one of the most consistent closers uh, in the last decade. He actually is in second in saves be- behind um, Craig Krimble since Krimble came into the league, which is, like you know, he's kind of an under-the-radar guard. He won't light up the radar, but he'll throw 85, 86 miles an hour with a good sinker, and he'll get you out, and that's the most important thing. And then the last two spots in the division you're looking at the Seattle Mariners, they you know, Robinson Cano's due for another good season. Or sorry, a bounce back season, my mistake there. Nelson Cruz is probably gonna be uh, the same old, same old, you know, 35 home run guy, two fifty average, but, you know, can he's he's at DH. So they you're know, not using any losing any defense there and you have Adam Lynn hitting in the five spot with Kyle Seeger and Kyle Seeger's coming into his own as a nice left handed third baseman in the hot corner their de- you know their defense is pretty good in Seattle they're not going to give up a lot of home runs with the starting p- pitching they have Felix Hernandez uh Iwakuma Wade Miley is going to be there from the uh, you know their only left-handed pitcher tyjon Walker he's a-, a real good young pitcher I'm looking for him to have a good breakout season and and they also have a guy in Nate Carnes who could be a good pitcher as well as well as James Paxson a, a Canadian pitcher it looks like he won't make the team after a couple, couple rough spring training starts but He's due to be a good pitcher this year. Their bullpen, same old, same old. They have Steve Ciszek and Joaquin Benoit uh, for the top two going for that closers role. Then finally, you look at the Oakland Athletics. You know what exactly what they can do. They always find a way to make the playoffs somehow, but end up uh, you know, finding a way in and competing the whole season. And they added a couple good players. And Jed Lowry, Yonder Alonso is a young player and Chris Davis as well, as along with Ryan Madison. He's going to be their setup man. They paid him $10 million, uh, which is, you know, kind of high for a reliever, but he had an excellent season last year. And, they, you know, their team looks very good. Danny Valencia is going to be hitting to the five spot at third base. They got rid of Brett Laurie, And, you know, the one problem with them is their rotation. Sonny Gray, and there's four guys, Kendall O'Grayman, Jesse Hahn, Rich Hill, and Chris Bassett, who are guys that, you know, not much of a track record, not much poise to have a good season, so we'll see what, what happens there. They also added Henderson Alvarez, who's only 25 years old. Lost Obviously, a lot of people remember him with the Blue Jays back in the day, and, and he could be really good for them as well if uh, he stays healthy. Now we're going to get to the phone line and hear your opinion. Call us here to talk about the AL West division at 750-2535. That's 750-2535. Oh, here's a caller. Just give me two seconds. Good evening, around the diamond. Hello. Hey, what's your name, brother?
1: It's Mike again.
0: Oh, Mike. What do you want? You you got a problem with me? Uh, So, we're talking about the AL West, and uh, I'm going to ask for your opinion here. Who do you think is going to win the division? Well, obviously Texas. It's not a competition. Why is that? Because everything's bigger in Texas. All right, Mr. Mike. So, what's your one-to-five in the division? Well... I would have to go Texas,
2: Oakland, Seattle, Houston, and then Los Angeles.
0: Okay, well, that's a very interesting list. Uh, I don't think mine is anything the same as that. I honestly think Houston's going to win the division. What? Wrong. Okay, well, listen. I honestly think that Houston is going to win the division because they, they are a young team and they are hungry And and Texas will come in second, and and that's a good pick, Mr. Mike.
3: Texas has Shin Choo Choo, so they can't lose.
0: All right, time is up. Thank you very much for calling Around the Diamond, and uh, have a nice day.
1: Goodbye.
0: All right, we thank Mike for calling once again, and uh, we're going to take one more caller here. The phone lines are lighting up. That's 613-750-2535, 613-2535. 613-750-2535. 613-750-2535. I'm going to pick a random one, and here it is. Good evening, around the diamond. Hi, hey, how are you? I'm doing good, man. So uh, who do you think is going to win the AL West, probably the second-best division in baseball, 1-5? to five.
4: Uh, Well, I think uh, Houston is going to win the division this year. And I think it's gonna they're going to follow by uh, Texas, Seattle, L.A., and then Oakland.
0: Would you say that this is the... Best or one of the best divisions in baseball.
4: Uh, yeah, I'd probably say it's probably the third best after the AL East and the NL Central.
0: Really? So you yeah. you, th- you think a team like Baltimore is, is better than a team like Seattle?
4: Uh, yeah, I think Baltimore is a more all-around team compared to Seattle.
0: Okay, and I'm gonna before we let you go just quickly, uh, the Houston Astros uh, had an excellent season last year. They made the wild card spot, and with a full season from a guy like Carlos Correa. Can they win the World Series or make it past the first round at least?
4: Uh, Yeah, I think that they're going to have the most wins out of all the AL teams this year, and I think that they will be playing in the World Series this year, probably against Chicago.
0: All right, thank you very much for calling, brother. No problem. Coming up next to Around the Diamond, I'm going to be joined by Ottawa champions first baseman, Johnny Cole, following that Dow of Steve will join us from sportsnet.ca as well as Eric Stevens from the Baseball Writers Association of America. And to finish off, Jim Mulgris will join me from Southside Sox blog to talk about the whole Adam LaRose situation. That's all here on the Round the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9, home of your Ottawa Champions. It's now time to get to know your Ottawa Champions roster. With that being said, joining me over the phone is newly acquired first baseman Johnny Cole. Johnny was signed last week out of the University of South Carolina. And something you won't have to do, Johnny, is get used to the Canadian weather because the snow is melting here, but without any delay... Here is Mr. Cole. How you doing?
2: Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, no problem. So, as I mentioned, uh, you won't have to get used to the Canadian weather here because uh, the snow is pretty much all melted. <laughs>
2: you know, I'll tell you, I'm actually very happy about that because uh, whenever it hits 65 here in South Florida, you know, I, I I wear jackets and sweatpants as long as I can.
0: All right, sounds good. <laughs> well, I I guess the weather's 10 times better there than here is in Ottawa. But um, uh, right now it's what plus three. And uh, we're happy about that. And and I'm sure it's going to be a little bit different when you get off the plane. But um, since you're only 23 years old, I'm going to ask you, who was your idol growing up playing baseball?
2: You know what? My idol growing up uh, when I was young and still my idol now has always been Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire has always been uh, those big, um, bigger-than-life characters that um, baseball's always had. And uh, since then, I've always tried to follow in his footsteps. And, uh, and I have and very idolized him a lot as a kid.
0: Wow, that's uh, pretty interesting. Uh, you know, not a lot of people would say that their favorite player is Mark McGuire. but uh, I'm going to ask you this: Did you always see yourself as a first baseman coming out of high school?
2: Um, you know what? Uh, it's funny about that. I played first base my whole life because I'm left-handed. Um, I played a few games here and there in the outfield, but I'm mainly a first baseman. But um, so being left-handed, I'm very limited. And uh, I've had scouts tell me before: um, "You're only six foot two. You're not six foot five. You won't be able to play first at the next level." So I've been practicing here, practicing there in the outfield, but um, you know it all depends on what the coach wants. But first is definitely my primary, but now uh, I'm going to take a second look at the outfield now too.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and, and you know six two is pretty big in my opinion. And if you look at a guy like Adam LaRoche, who is is probably the, the same height at six two, it doesn't really. Obviously, it matters a lot to be six five, but uh, you can definitely still be good. But Johnny. Um, you had a very productive season last year with South Carolina. You hit 333 with seven home runs and 40 RBIs in 54 games. What did you do in order to keep that consistency through the full season?
2: Um, you know, it's just, it's, uh, there's never uh, a and on that. The only thing is, uh, baseball is a game of failure, and you're going to struggle. And a lot of players struggle more than others, but the best thing to do is just not beat yourself into the ground. And uh, keep your head on straight and just remember you can play the game, you know, and just if you if you hit the ball hard and you get out, pretty much try not to change a thing.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and, you know, one thing that the champions did lack last season was power and they found it in yourself. Uh, what's your approach going to be coming into a new league?
2: Um, You know, uh, being here in South Florida, a lot of my uh, a lot of uh, coaches in college and high school that play professional baseball in the minor leagues and major leagues. And like I said before, Gary Carter was one of them. A lot of things you learn, um, adjusting to uh, faster pitching. So, you know, just um, just getting my foot down, working on fundamentals, basic stuff. But um, I'm just excited to put a uniform on my back again.
0: Absolutely. And what was it like to meet the champions manager, Hal Lanier? Uh, what was the first meeting like, of course, when he saw you play?
2: Um, I actually got invited to uh, to a showcase. Um, only a select amount of players were invited to it. And Hal, Hal was one of the coaches that was there. And... Um, it was a eight day showcase, and the first three four days I was uh, struggling. I was getting pounded. All these pitchers throwing 5.96, they're beating me, and I made an adjustment one day and I hit uh, hit a ball off the wall uh, left hand, left handed, then right handed. I hit another one off the wall left hand left handed, then right handed. So um, Hal came up after came up to me afterwards, and told me he liked what he saw. And I'm not gonna lie, I was pretty intimidated coming from him. But uh, I thought he was gonna yell at me or something, but it was actually positive.
0: Yeah, he, Al's a very easygoing guy from what I've heard and, and from talking to him. But I'm going to ask you this. Since you're a switch hitter, one of those things that a lot of people can't do is obviously switch hit. And from your perspective, what would you say to any kids listening uh, to become a switch hitter? How do you do it?
2: Um, well, I'll tell you, um, I've had a lot of coaches tell other players before, um, once you hit college, it's too late. Um, it's too late to try It's too late to start. And that is not true. I was a right-handed hitter my entire life, growing up all the way through high school. But I'm naturally left-handed, so I picked it up a lot easier. So I've been no stretcher year of college. Go ahead and start it. It will not hurt. You either pick it up or you don't. And even if you start off slow, go ahead and keep doing it because scouts love it, colleges love it. And it could only benefit you later, later down the road.
0: Yeah, and scouts have said that you're an excellent defender at first. And, of course, your manager, Hal Lanier, was known to be one of the better defenders in the 1960s. How is he going to help you this season defensively?
2: You know, um, Hal and I actually haven't talked much about defense when I saw him. He just talked about offense. He told me growing going in as a freshman um, I would have to learn outfield experience because I have a little bit of speed under my belt. He also told me I'm going to get with one of the other assistant coaches as well, and he said uh, they played in major leagues also, and they're going to make us top-notch on defense.
0: Yeah, and one of the guys that the champions have been building around is Sebastian Boucher. Um, he's from Canada, and he's definitely a star in the outfield. He hit three thirty-three, or I think it was three fifteen last season, and was a former Seattle Mariners prospect. Uh, what's your mentality going into camp, playing with a guy like Sebastian Boucher?
2: Oh, that's easy. That's uh, that's one of those things you just gotta take a look at. Let me have a second. Take a look, uh, see the way he carries himself, see the approach. Um, just take a look at the things he does uh, to get him where, he, where he's been. You know, it's just an easy easy figure to follow.
0: Yeah, for sure. And he's, a, you know, obviously him being a veteran. But I'm going to ask you this. In, in 2011, you had a chance to play under Gary Carter, known to be one of the best experts in, in history. Uh, how did that go, and how did he have an in- impact on your career so far?
2: Uh, Gary, you know, was a, was a top-notch guy. He was man-to-man, very straightforward. He knew more about baseball than anyone I think I've ever met in my life. And also, he was very, very comfortable to talk to. A lot of coaches, you know, these days are very intimidating to their players, but Gary was very easy to talk to. He'd help you out with problems on the field, off the field, personal life. Uh, He invited us to his house one time and uh, just the team, which I've never had a coach do before. And uh, we had a whole barbecue and, wow. you know, Gary's a, a great guy to have and, you know, we've been the tragic what happened to him. But Gary was a great guy. I loved playing under him.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, I got to ask you this. I don't know if you had a chance to follow the Toronto Blue Jays last season, but that's the main topic here in Canada. And of course, in Ottawa, only being four hours away from Toronto. Uh, what did you think of the Blue Jays season if you had a chance to watch a couple games or two?
2: Um, oh man, it was just electric. Absolutely electrifying. Just Bautista the bat flips. It's it was one of the best series I've ever seen.
0: Is the question is, are you going to be pulling any of those bat flips in the regular season?
2: It depends on how hard the other pitcher's throwing so I don't get hit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to get beamed. Uh, is the is the one thing and and you know what? I, why don't you do that so that I can call a bench clean brawl? How does that sound, eh?
2: Yeah, that sounds good, but, you know, no, nah, I'm just messing around. I won't be doing none of that. It's my mm-hmm. first year there. I just want to be a part of the team, help the team <laughs> get people, you know. It's just going to be a great experience all the way around.
0: Now, of course, uh, another thing just around you is uh, you got, it looks like you got a nice fresh cut. And coming into Ottawa, where are you going to be getting your hair cut?
2: You know, I don't know. Most kids nowadays cut hair, so hopefully I can what? save the money and... Hopefully, hopefully one of my teammates can hi- cut hair pretty good because that's what I'll be going for.
0: Oh, yeah, you need that nice low low fade, eh?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. right. Yeah, man, it was a real pleasure talking to you, Johnny, and uh, I look forward to, having I guess, having you on the show during the season and seeing you play, and uh, we'll see you, I guess, in May. Yeah, I'll
2: see you guys definitely in May.
0: All right, thanks a lot, brother.
2: Thanks a lot, Dante. I really appreciate it.
0: Welcome back to Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9, home of your Ottawa champions. Joining me on the phone is Dow of Steve. Dow of Steve writes for the Toronto Blue Jays on sportsnet.ca. And you could also follow him on Twitter at Dow of Steve for tons of Blue Jays reaction and updates. But without further ado, let's welcome Mr. Dow of Steve. How are you doing today?
3: Um, Well, uh, aside from this cough, but I will stifle it the best I can.
0: All right. Sounds good. Uh, Now, you wrote an article on Sportsnet.ca yesterday in which featured a nice piece about the whole Blue Jays fourth outfielder situation. Uh, I'm just going to go through some of the candidates that are fighting for the job. One of them being Dominic Brown, Ezekiel Carrera, Junior Lake, and even Michael Saunders. Now, Dow, with these candidates all on the board, who do you think has the best chance to make the fourth outfielder spot or even start in left field at the beginning of the season?
3: Uh, Well, certainly I think uh, starting in left field is is unquestionably going to be uh, Michael Saunders unless um, there is some sort of injury that uh, pops up there. Uh, But but Michael Saunders is really uh, picked for that left field position. Uh, The fourth outfielder position, I think at this point... As much as I love uh, Daryl Siciliani and think that he's really had a great spring, uh, had some really great at-bats, especially in the game against the Phillies that I saw uh, when I was down there, I think that Junior Lake might be the guy who is uh, sort of leading the pack at this point. He's been pretty good in the field. As a right-handed hitter, he kind of could spell off Saunders against left-handers. Yeah. You know, um, and he's out of options, and so uh, so they would have to, to take him or uh, risk uh, losing him if they tried to stash him in Buffalo. So I could see Junior Lake as uh, maybe the most likely candidate. I think um, he's had a decent spring as well. Uh, Dominic Brown has really not done a ton, um, and uh, I don't think he's really played his way into a spot um, and given the fact that he was available to anybody, they might be able to slip him through waivers
0: at this point. Yeah, absolutely, Dow. And you look at Junior Lake, he's he's a lot younger than all those candidates, and he has lots of speed, and he can definitely play in the field, and I think that's where uh, he has the advantage among the other candidates. What do you think?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and the ability to play center field, um, uh, you know, I think is is uh, something that's important. It's, it's certainly something that... Uh, that John Gibbons uh, outlined as one of the important factors to him, and, and, and in almost the same breath, he he noted that Lake was a strong candidate. So, I mean, there's still just uh, about half of spring training left to go, and and I suppose there there are opportunities for uh, for Brown to distinguish himself. I Guess that the team would be interested uh, in in having him uh, play a role uh, on the franchise, but. Um, Uh, At this point, I I, I do still think that it is Lake that that is in the lead in this uh, race.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and another recent topic coming out of camp is the signing of veteran reliever Randy Choate. This is not the first time that Randy has played in Canada as he spent uh, a few years with the Expos a while back. Choate is known for his consistency through his career and could very much make the team. As a lefty, do you think it's an improvement over Aaron Loop?
3: Well, it would certainly be an improvement over an injured Aaron Loop, and and in spite of some of the positive signals that you're getting yesterday and today uh, from Loop in terms of his health, uh, there's still some uh, there's still something that's happening in his elbow, and uh, that's never anything that you feel terribly positive about, not something that you want to bank on, Loop. I think plays, uh, or sorry, Cho plays somewhat of the same role. Although he doesn't have the velocity of uh, Loop yeah. uh, when Loop is health- healthy, uh, Cho is very much a, a one-out guy. Um, pitched twenty-seven and a third innings uh, last season in seventy-one games, so um, you know that's almost. Uh, impossible to do and if i'm not mistaken there was one game in there where he pitched three innings so you figure that out that it's uh 20 um uh 24 and a third innings in 70 games uh outside of that for the rest of the season it's really a guy who comes in and and murderous lefties and which is the reason why for oh, yeah. years I had such uh, I just hated the guy and especially seeing what he used to do to Adam Lind over the years uh, <laughs> was just he was uh, he was a menace and always seemed to be playing in the uh, in the American League East uh, with the Yankees and uh, the Rays
0: yeah absolutely you look at Randy Choate; he's got that nasty sinker ball he's definitely a ground ball pitcher so you um no question, he could definitely perform in the Rogers Center, and you mentioned he's one of those one-out guys. Um, do you see him doing a little bit more this season, or is he just going to stick to his usual self?
3: Well, I, I think he would. Uh, I think he would be a one-out guy. Um, I, I, you know, uh, Gibby, his, uh, he sort of smiled and said, "Yeah, he's sort of the definition of a specialist." Yes. So, um, I, I, I think that uh, that's exactly what they would use him for. Chote still uh, says that he, he still, you know, can take on righties if he needs to. And uh, but I, I think that he would really be in there to to neutralize uh, a specific left-handed bat here and there. You know, a Chris Davis or yeah,
0: yeah, Chris Davis. Uh, of course, he's a they call him Crush Davis. Uh, one of the better. First basements in the American League for sure. But another question coming out of camp is who will lead off for the Blue Jays this season? You wrote an article about Kevin Pillar and where he fits in the lineup. From what you've seen, who will lead off for Toronto?
3: Well, at this point, I think it's very clear that it will be Pillar. You know, I I think that um, they're going to give him the chance to run with this, to run with this job uh i i know that there's a lot of apprehensions i think certainly him having a career 303 on base percentage is one of them um i don't necessarily think that polar looks terribly comfortable in the role as a guy who's up there taking strikes um he's an aggressive hitter yeah. uh i think he likes to uh to uh, attack pitchers and so you know there's a question as to whether or not if this is something that uh, that works right through uh to the end of the year uh he might not be the best candidate but then again you're trying to figure out uh who you would move into the one spot you know uh Troy Tulowitzki, I think might be the the best candidate uh, wow. to be there and the other side of it too uh I think as I pointed out in the article was uh, I you know Pilar uh He's is a, is a big guy who hits the ball hard, and I think that if he were hitting behind sort of that uh, big core of the lineup, that he could actually uh, get himself into more at-bats where his aggressive uh, nature would play into what the pitchers would have to deal with if they had guys on base and they were pitching from the stretch, maybe had to serve up more fastballs to him. them. So, um, but for the time being... Uh, Kevin Pillar is going to, uh, I think, be the, the the leadoff hitter, and you know what? I mean, he's proven people wrong over the last couple of years, so I, I'm certainly willing to give him a couple of uh, uh, a couple of months
0: to see how he does in that position. Yeah, that would be awesome to have Kevin Pillar maybe hit in that sixth spot behind Chris Colabello and see what he does. But, of course, now, with the, now we're going to go over to the situation with Marco Estrada. You had a chance to be around the team for about a week in Florida for spring training. Um, how is Estrada at this point?
3: Well, if you ask him, he's fine. Uh, you know, I did hear someone say that they saw him walking around camp uh, like uh, a bit of an old man. When I saw him, he was throwing his uh, simulation game. Uh, he looked fine. He he, there was snap on the pitches. To, uh, it looked like uh, for the first few, they were maybe not uh, great in the zone, but by the last uh, twenty, twenty five or so that he threw, uh, looked like he had that he had good command. Estrada himself said that, you know, he doesn't want to miss a start. Um, I think that there was some conventional wisdom that he would uh, either, you know, uh, miss a start just by sitting out his uh, his turn and, and the Jays don't need a fifth starter until the 16th of April, I don't believe so. Oh. But he, his contention is you know he might not be able to pitch the hundred pitches right out of the gate, but that he uh, would like to make those start. So we'll see he uh, he may get a start tomorrow from what I understand or get uh, get a start uh, in the next uh, couple of days. So we'll we'll see uh, what comes out of that and and I guess most importantly is how he feels the next day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And finally, what are things at? with who actually might make the team as the team's fifth starter?
3: Well, I think right now uh, you're looking at – A three-person race. I think that uh, Drew Hutchison is destined for Buffalo, despite of having a pretty decent outing against the uh, the Yankees. And then you're looking at Jesse Chavez, Gavin Floyd, and uh, Aaron Sanchez. And uh, uh, between the three of them, uh, Chavez, I think, is headed to the bullpen. I agree. as As might be Sanchez. And maybe not entirely deserved on Sanchez's part. I think that he... Uh, looked really good from what I saw of him uh, in camp. Uh, I think that there are some things that he's done in addition to putting on the weight. Um, There used to be something of a little bit of a hop at the top of his uh, delivery, especially out of the wind-up, that I don't see there anymore, um, which means that he is driving directly towards the plate, and I think getting maybe a little bit of extra velocity out of that He doesn't have the four-pitch mix that Gavin Floyd does, and I do get a sense that the higher-ups in the team uh, prefer Gavin Floyd. If that's the case and they're going with Gavin Floyd, then you've got Sanchez as a really great reliever. Um, He could be a a fantastic reliever for them right up until the point where they need another starting pitcher, and uh, that's something that John Gibbons did outline to to the press who were down there was that – he thinks that Sanchez can go into the bullpen and come back out if he needs him to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If you put Sanchez into the bullpen, and, and honestly, before we go, I just want to ask you one more question. Now that you do bring up Sanchez, in my opinion, I think that for Sanchez's career, I think it's better to put him as a starting rotation because you'll get more out of him. Um, what where, where do you see that around the lines of Sanchez being a starter?
3: I, I, think, that, uh, I think that Sanchez should be a starter. I think the Blue Jays really owe it to themselves to uh, try to make sure that, uh, that they really stress test it, to uh, make sure that he's not a starter before they make that decision for him. And uh, I think – you know, you're always better off getting as much out of your pitchers as you can, and and someone who's been a significant prospect like Sanchez has, I, I think that they really owe it to themselves to see what he's capable of. But there's more value to him being a starter, I think, in the long term to the franchise. So yeah. that would be my preference.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to ask yourself, when's the last top prospect to just go straight into the bullpen and stay there out of their whole career? I mean, I can't really remember. Uh, too many of them. Uh, I know that John Smoltz started off as a closer and then went to a starter. So, I mean, we could say the same thing with either Sanchez or Osuna. But that pretty much wraps it up. Thank you so much, Dow of Steve, for joining me here on Around the Diamond. And once again, you can find Dow of Steve on Twitter at uh Dow of Steve. It's actually spelled T A O O F. I mean, S T I E B. And uh, you can also read his articles at Sportsman.ca. And uh, once again, thanks a lot for coming on.
3: No problem. Bye.
0: Welcome back to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 1079, Ottawa's new music. I am Diamond Dante. It's now time for a weekly division breakdown as leading up to the 2016 baseball season, I will be going through each and every other division in baseball. If you missed out on my AL East and AL Central review, you can go back and check out on my Twitter at DiamondDante. But without further ado, now joining with me over the phone from Arizona is Eric. Stevens from the True Blue LA blog, a baseball blog that covers the Dodgers and of course is an affiliation of Sports Blog Nation. Now before we bring Eric on, Mr. Stevens is a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America and has been writing for True Blue LA since 2008. Now to start off, Eric, how are you and how's the weather out there in Arizona?
4: Oh yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, The weather's pretty great. Um, right now it's like we're, we're getting a cool spell in Arizona. It's not, it's not like super hot or anything. We have a nice breeze. Uh, it's pretty much the perfect time to be out here right now. It's great.
0: Yeah, and you actually attend all six weeks of the Dodgers spring training, and i got to ask you, how's it playing out so far?
4: Uh, you know, so far uh, they've actually had a few um, injuries. I mean, that's the one thing you want to sort of avoid. Um, Fred Anderson, one of their starters, had to have uh, back surgery to repair a herniated disc. Um, Yanjin Ryu is sort of struggling to come back from left shoulder surgery, and their shortstop Corey Seager has a bit of a a knee sprain, although he might be ready for opening day. But uh, other than that, they are playing pretty well um, when they're, you know, the ones that are playing, and um, it's it's sort of uh, you know they're just getting ready for the season, but uh, they look they look pretty good at least what what we've seen so far.
0: Yeah, and Eric, I'm going to have to ask you this right now. Uh, who do you expect winning division? Uh, slot your one to five at this point.
4: Um, yeah, going into the, I, I view it sort of as a three-team race. Uh, I think the Dodgers and the Giants are, are at the top. I think the Dodgers are a little bit deeper than the Giants, but I would say Dodgers one, followed closely by Giants two. Diamondbacks uh, vastly improved uh, number three and contending for a wild card spot. Um, and then I would say uh, probably Padres four, Rockies five.
0: Wow, so you're putting the Padres at 4. That's a little bit interesting. And uh, I mean, we're going to go through every single team so we'll get to those two in a minute, but I'm going are in a minute. Uh, I'm going to start off with the Dodgers. Um a couple key acquisitions in the offseason added a couple prospects. Kente Maeda, they got him in a trade as well as Yasiel Sierra, and they added veteran left-handed pitcher Scott Kazmir. Uh some key off offseason losses, Zach Ranke. How do you think things are going to play out with uh especially the new talent there?
4: Well, the, you know, the key loss for them was obviously, um, Grinke. He was their number two starter and then really co-ace. Um, he had one of the greatest sort of pitching seasons in the, in club's history, uh, last year. Um, and he, he signed with the division rival with the Diamondbacks. So that was a big blow. Um, uh, you know, very, one of the very best pitchers in baseball, but they sort of went essentially like a, just a super deep rotation. Um, Doc Kasner, as you mentioned, um, a veteran, and they signed Kenta Maeda from Japan. He was signed to an eight-year deal. Um, he has a pretty good track record in Japan. There were some issues with his um, physical coming forward, like a possible elbow problem, but he's been actually fine so far during the spring. It was a very team-friendly deal, so they they didn't take on a ton of risk with that deal. Um, they had Brett Anderson coming back. I mentioned him yet, but he's out with back surgery. Uh, they have sort of guys in the periphery who might be ready in the second half of the season who could help, but then they also have a bunch of um, younger, uh, A guys who could also step into the rotation and who are going to need to step into the rotation at the beginning of the year. You're gonna, we're talking like, um, Mike Bolsinger, yeah. um, Zach Lee, um, Alex Wood's going to be in the rotation. Um, Brandon Beachy is another guy, and then you have they have the prospects Julio Urias and Jose De Leon, yeah. who might not be ready to step in right away, but at some point in 2016, I would imagine uh, they're going to get to the
0: start. Yeah, absolutely, Eric. And before we get into this pitching rotation, we're going to have to go to the starting lineup. Uh, I've been watching MLB Network lately, and they are questioning the lineup a little bit. Uh, Howie, Howie Kendrick looks like he's probably going to lead off for them, but. They're pretty deep. Puig in the five spot, as well as Gonzalez in the four spot, and Jock Peterson's going to be hitting eighth. Um, what do you see from this lineup of the Dodgers going into this season?
4: I, I think um, what we're going to see is probably like a mix of guys. I and mean, they don't have a like a prototypical like leadoff batter, like a you know a pure on base speed guy. Um, but what they do have is guys who who match up uh, certain days, you know, against, uh, like, Andre Ethier, uh, for instance. He's actually literally never started a game at leadoff in his 10-year career, but he has a 300 or 383 on base percentage in his career against righties. Yeah. So he's actually batting leadoff today. That's why I brought it up. Um, he's he's sort of a candidate to get some starts there. Uh, like Kendrick, as you mentioned, probably against lefties. Doc Peterson, even like against some righties, would get uh, some play at leadoff. I think they're going to mix it up this year, sort of depending on the matchups. And you're going to see a lot of those guys in that in that role, and then we're going to see some platooning. So uh, they they have quite a few options. It's not it's not very traditional, um, as as we say, but looking at it a bit of a different way this year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and actually, quickly before we flip over to. Uh the San Francisco Giants. I want to talk about two outfielders with the Dodgers. Jock Peterson was a top 100 player the first half of the season last year. Fell off the charts completely uh, second half of the season. And Yasiel Puig, he's had some problems with the domestic violence issues. Uh, Talk about those two guys and will they perform this season?
4: Yeah, those are two very big... You know, question marks. We have, Will will get the Jock Peterson that was very good in the first two months of the season or the one who, you know, struggled the last four. Um, I can say they've worked extensively with him, um, sort of retooling his swing a little bit. Um, the swing itself looks pretty good. He's got some a few little quirks. So I think his toe is like pointing towards second base or towards the mound, I guess. Um, that's a little quirky, but, um, as long as, um, his swing is, you know, pure and, as uh, it's going through the zone, I think that's, that's been working for him a li- of late, the last couple of weeks. You know, Puig is going to be, I think what they want from him is just to be healthy and, um, yeah. and he'll pro- probably produce. Last year he had, you know, a couple hamstring injuries and some nagging injuries, you know, the remainder of the year. So that was a problem. As far as the domestic violence thing, I know him will be still investigating. Um, I, I can say the expectations here. It doesn't, Sound like they expect him to actually get suspended for that. I know it was an isolated incident. Um, the the fight itself was more a disagreement with uh, like a um, one of the uh, bar employees, and uh, there's no real uh, hard evidence that we could see that uh, Puig actually like pushed his sister who was with him yeah. at the time. And I think unless they find some new evidence or something, I, I don't think uh, he's going to get suspended at all.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now we're going to go over to the Dodgers' rivals in the San Francisco Giants. Now I'm going to tell you, Eric, uh, I honestly think the Giants will win the World Series this year. They kind of have that streak, win the World Series, don't make the playoffs. I'm actually a a big fan of the Giants, uh, other than obviously the Blue Jays here in Canada. But... um, the Giants looking a little bit better this year. They added some key uh, acquisitions in the off-season: Johnny Cueto, Jeff Samarja, and Denard Span. Uh, talk to me about those three players. How will they impact the team, and could they actually win, divi- win the division?
4: Well, oh, they they certainly can. Uh, they're you know they're definitely talented enough to win the division, and you know just just a very good team, top to bottom. Um, well, the two pitchers to me, uh, Samarja and Cueto, really helped the rotation out. That was sort of a um, an issue for them. I know, you know, obviously Madison Bumgarner is great and he was sort of surrounded by a lot of um kind of league average type guys last year. This year I think what you get with Queto who's been eating has been eating innings for the last like five, six years and Samarja who's sort of developed that reputation as well. He didn't have a good season last year, Samarja, but I think he's he'll be fine in the National League West and especially in that ballpark. And he's just going to be another horse. Um, and so if you have those three guys at the top who, who can, who could probably get 650 innings out of the three of them, that's going to be, go a long way to sort of helping the rest of the rotation and the bullpen out. And if they could do that, they're, they're probably, they probably are the favorites if they can get that kind of production out of those guys. So, um, then Denard Span, um, another, uh, sort of, uh, you know, top of the order type, um, outfielder who probably is going to play well in that part. And I think, you know, if Hunter Pence is healthy, um, they just have a lot of good young hitters. Ben Crawford's obviously come into his own at short. Yeah. Um, Matt Duffy, Joe Panik, like they they just they keep coming up with guys. They keep producing you, you know good young hitters and adding it to the core. And obviously Buster Posey's very good. Brandon Bell's still good. Um, so good. Th- so their offense to me is underrated. If anything, so if you add any kind of pitching to that offense, that that's what uh, that's what make me think they could definitely win the division. Sure.
0: Yeah, and especially with that ballpark, uh, you can't expect any more. You got Johnny Cueto who has. Played extremely well in the National League, obviously, with the Cincinnati Reds uh, the past couple of seasons. Jeff Samarja, he's a good pitcher. He's pitched in the National League. He's pitched in the AL Central as well as the AL West before. He's flipped around quite a bit, but he should be good. I want to flip over to the, uh, to the lineup here with the Giants. And they got some good young players in Joe Panic, Matt Duffy, Brandon Belt, even Hunter Pence is, you know, mid-age 30s right now but he's still a good player and Brandon Crawford, who is probably a top five defender at shortstop uh, with that big stadium they are more of a doubles team what do you think
4: yeah I agree um, you know pretty aggressive yeah. team as well though they tend to not strike out a ton at least uh, you know in years past so they're going to put the ball in play um, you know move station to station and and um, you know single and W to death and, and uh, put up some good numbers but uh, that said they do have some pop as well I think Um some of those doubles might turn into some home runs on the road, yeah. and that, like I said, that lineup is, um, is is you know maybe not, maybe not Cubs level, but you're gonna you're gonna not, it's hard to find a lineup as, as balanced as there's in the National League.
0: I'm gonna ask you this: Do you think it is the most balanced or best lineup in the NL West?
4: You know, I I would say I actually do kind of like the Dodgers lineup as well, okay. but given the question marks uh, right now surrounding the Dodgers in terms of Corey Seager, I think he's gonna do well. But he's also coming into his rookie season. Puig um, uh, was hurt last year, so he has to be healthy. Chuck Peterson was a tail of two seasons. So those, and Yasmani Grandal had a shoulder issue that sort of knocked him down the last two months. So all four of those guys are question marks. If if they come through, I think the Dodgers can be better. But those they are question marks, I would say. I'd probably give the edge to the Giants in the National League West right now in offense.
0: Yeah, and now we're going to go over to the Arizona Diamondbacks. You mentioned... Uh either one or two of these teams in the division will make the playoffs. But uh, with the Diamondbacks, they added Zach Ranky. Obviously, you had a chance to watch him play a lot. Uh, Shelby Miller, Gene Segura, who is a uh, a young shortstop from Milwaukee, uh, along with Tyler Klippard. Uh, they did a lot of work this offseason. What do you think?
4: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, part of it was they, you know, they, they kind of had to just to sort of get back into the swing of things. Um I think, if I'm not mistaken, they were 79 and 83 last year. Oh. Um, but, you know, adding Miller and Granke and then getting Patrick Corbin back for a full season as yeah. top of the rotation, that, that's going to make them competitive. And, and, and I think Paul Goldschmidt and, uh, AJ Pollock sort of get at, at in the top and the middle of that lineup. If you add any kind of pitching to that, you're going to, you're just going to be competitive by default. So they've tried to do their best at, you know, sort of filling in the gap. The one issue I just see with them is, um, they do have a lot of talent, but uh, it's just a depth thing, and that's why I'd probably put them third behind the, the Dodgers and the
0: Giants right now. Okay. Yeah, they did. A, they made a lot of moves. Their lineup is very young. Gene Segura looks like he's going to be at the top, followed by A.J. Pollock, who had an amazing season last year, and, of course, Paul Goldschmidt, the best all-around first baseman in the league. He actually stole over 20 bases last year. Their lineup, up and down, looks pretty solid. How will they compete?
4: Yeah, and then the other issue, too, is like— um you know, they acquired Segura. That was kind of a weird deal because they wanted to dump Aaron Hill's salary. They also gave up a pretty good um, prospect to the Brewers in that deal. It was kind of hard to fathom a little bit because, you know, Segura, he started out pretty well. And it's funny, he's actually in the original Zach granky trade yeah. from Milwaukee. <laughs> um, and so, and they're, now they're back. But uh, Segura, like, he's, he hasn't really been good like the last two years, like sub 300 on base percentage. So if they bat him near the top of the order, I don't think it's going to necessarily go well. They're going to be a pretty good offense, but I'd still put them a notch below, um, just you know, like in an average ballpark, put them a notch below like the Dodgers and the Giants in the division.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and we're going to go to the two teams that are going to round out the bottom of the division without any question. San Diego and Colorado, they've been at the bottom for quite some time now. Um, quickly, with the uh, San Diego Padres, their lineup below average, in my opinion, they're their starting rotation is probably their strongest point, and their bullpen is a little bit questionable. Um, what do you what do you see the uh, the Padres doing this season?
4: Yeah, and I mean, you know, we talked about you know whether they would be fourth or fifth, I guess, in the division. I could see a scenario like if they don't start well, they they definitely have still have pieces where they could start selling guys like you know Kashner and Ross are, yeah. are nearing free agency. Cashner is going to be this year um and and you have like james shields guys who they can try to trade so if they if they start off poorly they they could be more incentivized to try to you know quickly rebuild um and get rid of guys uh sooner so like that could sort of make them worse in this year but make them better for the long term so you know it, it maybe is maybe they do finish fifth, but it really depends on how they start you're right they their starting pitching will probably uh, tell us where they're gonna go cashier's still good tyson ross still good shields he he had a probably had a poor first year there but he's still a good pitcher um so they're, they're i think they're going to be fine and that's probably what in my mind at least puts them ahead of the rockies at least for now
0: yeah absolutely and the rockies are probably gonna are gonna probably gonna finish last in the division uh their lineup looks pretty good but once again their starting rotation is very poor in my opinion um What do you think, I guess? Because their rotation, I mean, you look at it, they don't really have any big names.
4: Yeah, um, I know uh, Jorge De La Rosa's back. He seems to sort of own all the records there um, (laughs) long-term. He's he's one of the few guys who actually found a way to be successful in course field consistently, which is great. You know, if you can find that guy, you hold on to him and for dear life. I think it's such a weird environment to to play and pitch in. Um, I think they're sort of getting things close to – you know, like a rebuild where they're adding a lot of young guys. Like, you know, John Gray looks pretty good. You just yeah. wonder if they could be able to develop him. And um, they just need to add more guys like him. And I, I just think uh, there's not, not quite enough there yet, but they're sort of starting to go in that right direction, I think.
0: The Rockies aren't really going to do much this season. They have a good lineup, um, an okay bullpen. They just added Jake McGee and a, uh, a very poor rotation. And it's a very interesting division here, and you're going to have probably a lot of fun covering them this season. You looking forward
4: to it? Absolutely, and I will say this, I didn't want to shortchange the Rockies. I, um, getting to watch them play, you get to see um, you know, Nolan Arenado play defense, yeah. and he's coming into his own as a hitter, too, so he's a special talent. So anytime you get to sort of watch a player like him, he's definitely worth the price of admission. So I didn't want to write the Rockies completely off there.
0: Oh, I'm going to ask you this right now. they got two pieces in the middle of their lineup, Carlos Gonzalez and Nolan Arenado. Um, do you see them moving any of these guys?
4: I, if, if I had to guess, I would say they moved Gonzalez, but yeah. not
0: Arenado. Yeah, obviously you want to move Gonzalez after a 40-home run season. A- excellent performance in the second half of the year. But uh, you know what? I'm going to thank you uh, very much, Eric, for coming on Around the Diamond here and breaking down the whole AOS division. And uh, we, I guess I look forward to maybe having you on the show uh, throughout the season.
4: Yeah, absolutely, any Anytime, it was my pleasure.
0: All right, thank you very much. And you can go check out Eric's uh, write ups on True Blue LA, which is an uh, affiliation of the Sports of Sports Blog Nation.
1: I feel, the space, feel the hate. I still wait up for you. You're far away as we fade. I still wait up for you. I wait up. I do. I still wait up, fade. All night it's hard. I do.
0: Welcome back to Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 1079, Ottawa's new music. Before we get to Jim Malgris, I'm going to play a quick clip. Of Ken Williams, the president of the Chicago White Sox, the guy who made the decision to ask LaRoche to not allow his son to come into the dressing room 100% of the time. This is what he had to say. Have a listen.
1: When did that conversation occur? I I did, but I want to be very clear on something that it's not because the young man uh, was a distraction uh, and not because he wasn't. Uh, well received and well liked by players, management, and everyone else. Um, you know, he's a quality, quality young young kid. I think going to one day be a heck of a player. By the way, anyway, um, you have to, as we as we embarked on this season, in the offseason, one of the things that we talked about the most was let's let's ch- you know check all the columns with regards to our preparation, with regards to our focus, with regards to everything to give ourselves the best chance to win. And um, this is not a problem today, but in in management sometimes you got to make some unpopular decisions. Um, And sometimes they center around, uh, you know, uh, they center around things that you don't necessarily want to do, but in order to maintain consistency in order to to have an answer for the next person that comes along that wants to, to have his child on the field 100% of the time and that's kind of where we, where we were was it was a hundred percent of the time every day and um, so yeah I asked, I asked them initially just, just dial it back um, even 50% is probably too much but there's a there's a wide range between zero and 50 percent. So you know, I was a little surprised at the at the stance that he took. It's unfortunate, uh, but you know, talk about a quality decision, a quality life decision, a family decision. When uh, he talks about being uh, there for his family and family first, you know, he put um, he put it front and center. So I respected and admire that.
0: Now joining me on the phone is Jim Margulis, the manager of Southside Sox, which is an affiliation blog of Sports Blog Nation, and is also the co-host of Southside Sox podcast, which you can find at the Southsidesox.com. If you need to know about the White Sox or the AL Central, go check out his blog at uh, Southside Sox, uh, affiliation of SB Nation. But aside from everything, let's welcome Jim from Southside Sox. How are you doing today?
5: Good. Must be a, uh, must be a big story we're talking about if I'm, uh, if I'm talking in Ottawa.
0: Yes, for sure. And uh, today we're talking about the biggest story coming out of spring training and the MLB, and that's Adam LaRost. He announced his retirement earlier in the week because the White Sox couldn't said he couldn't bring his 14-year-old son into the locker room. Jim, what's the news on the situation, and how did this really come apart?
5: Well, it's you, know, you mentioned you know, the 14-year-old son. It's not like an outright ban. That's the weird thing. Like last year, and, and he's done this with the Nationals, too, before he came to the White Sox. His son is basically with them all the time. I'm not sure if it's 100%, but it's pretty close to it. Travels on the road. He has his own uniform. He has his own locker. And for whatever reason, last year it was okay. And the White Sox media or marketing department, you know, touted the story or would take you know pictures of them and, and you know, advertise it. They were not something they were embarrassed about or thought it was odd, but this year for some reason something changed and Kenny Williams uh requested to LaRoche that he reduced his son's time in the clubhouse down a hundred percent he said something between zero and fifty percent would be more appropriate. Yeah. And for whatever reason this has set off a uh, a firestorm in, in in the clubhouse and now there's divisions and Chris is going off about uh Kenny Williams and it seems like uh either they really, really liked LaRoche's kid or there's some kind of you know, division in the clubhouse underneath everything that just become exposed by this, you know, small development.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a very weird, weird situation, and I've never seen this before. But Ken Rothens, uh tweeted yesterday about Chris Sale telling Kenny Williams to get out of the clubhouse. Um, what actually happened? Have you been following that as well?
5: Well, it's it's going off as we speak, and, and Sale uh, the White Sox were off yesterday, so nobody had direct quotes from anybody, but was talking in the uh, clubhouse before the game and going off and saying that uh, Kenny Williams lied to the players yeah and he also said some players and coaches you know were were uh complicit in it and now in he's basically almost calling for uh you know he said the long the wrong guy left the locker room yesterday and he's referring to uh LaRoche leaving instead of Kenny Williams so whether that means he thought Kenny Williams should have left the clubhouse, and you know he shouldn't be in there, or yeah. whether he should be out of the organization entirely is kind of uh, open ended right now. But there is bad blood, and there's been bad blood between Kenny Williams and Chris Sale before. I think Williams kind of likes combative personalities. <laughs> it's just that I think the way he is, he doesn't avoid a tussle. So uh, this is definitely taking it the furthest it's ever been taken, though.
0: I was watching MLB Network last night, and and they mentioned that uh, inside the contract, uh, they it, there was agreement that. LaRoche was allowed to bring his son into the locker room and around, and he would be actually a part of the team, and that was an agreement in the contract. Is that true? Uh,
5: that seems subject to uh, debate. The White Soxers, Kenny Williams have said there was nothing in the contract, and, and uh, uh, reports from uh, you know, reporters have said it was a handshake deal. LaRoche told Adam Eaton, who is the union rep, that he did have something in the contract. However... I'm thinking if he did have something in the contract, they would have taken it to the union for a grievance instead of retiring because he would have been entitled, uh, at least to a hearing, if it were in his contract. So that's why I'm inclined to think there was nothing hard in the contract just because you think he would have gone through different mechanisms instead of retiring right away.
0: And and what's your opinion on what LaRoche did in retiring? Was he just upset and didn't really think it through, or do you see him coming back into the league if they do allow him to have his son uh, on the team as well?
5: It's gotta be a hard thing to come back to because it's really set, you know, divided the clubhouse and you know, and there do seem to be some players who didn't care for You know, the White Sox brought in a lot of new guys who weren't familiar with the way uh, you know, the clubhouse had run before and, and the White Sox were seeking a little bit of a uh a change in leadership and uh, in message and so it this seems to be a really uh harsh way to go about it. But um it, it just seems like LaRoche has made up his mind and it's unfortunate because it seems like it puts this kid in front of everything. Yeah, the kid is the reason why he retired, even though it may not be you know that direct, and may be more of a matter of interpersonal relationships. Uh, you know, we're hearing a lot about a fourteen-year-old uh, being the subject of a, a professional decision, and that seems kind of weird to me, and makes it a little bit difficult to write about because you know. The, Theoretically, the kid did nothing wrong. So, yeah, you know, no. even if he did do something wrong or upset some people, he's a kid. You know, he's 14 years old. He's a teenager, and it's really, you know, it's, it's a parent thing, and it's weird for a parent to put his kid in the spotlight, even inadvertently.
0: Yeah, and and another thing is, in, in looking at the White Sox, they're losing uh, a, a pretty good first baseman. He's he's 36 years old. He still had a, a lot more life in the tank, uh, lots of power, and and he helped. Well, When they signed him, their whole thought process is to get Jose Abreu off his feet, and, and that's what they're doing. Are they going to benefit from this, or are they going to not benefit from it at all?
5: Well, that's, that's, I guess, the dynamic here, is that LaRoche had a rough season last year, and he was kind of, you know, it, they expected a bit of uh, a rebound, but, you know, theoretically, when a player is entering his later 30s, you know, it, it just could be the end of the road, and, and you know, that's it. But, uh I think the White Sox were prepared, you know, they had to prepare for a contingency plan where LaRoche never rebounded. And, you know, they might have to cut him in May. So I I think if he had a great season last year, this wouldn't have come up, and he would have been established as somebody who the the clubhouse, you know, or the the franchise could rely on. But right now I think he's kind of expendable. And uh, the fans, as a result, because he had a rough season, the fans didn't really enjoy watching him. It was his first season with the White Sox, and the fans didn't, uh, um, you know, really connect with him. Uh, the fans were, were happy to see him go because it's thirteen million dollars freed up for, or <laughs> something they can be you know, uh, a player that they feel better about. So yeah. it's a weird dynamic, and fans are just kind of the outside looking in, saying, "What's the big deal?"
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, you know, twelve home runs, forty four RBIs last season, but uh, you know, he's known for a lot of power. I think he would have been an excellent player on the bench. But I'm going to ask you, what's your opinion on the whole thought process of bringing your children into the locker room? We saw Dusty Baker uh, have his grandson. Uh, in the locker room f- with the Giants back in like two thousand and two, uh what's your opinion on that?
5: It seems, you know it's a long season. It's during the summer, so kids aren't in school, although uh, you know Drake LaRoche was homeschooled, that's even different there, but it, it seems like there is room for kids to be in the clubhouse, but I think it's just more of the omnipresence, the having the own you know locker, having the own uniform, being there every day, um you know with players, yeah you know, there there are some players who have commented, you know um you, know, third parties' and, you know nobody close to the. Uh, the situation just saying like it would just be weird to have to monitor yourself in yeah. your behavior and there anything you want to talk about and anything you want to you know get off your chest with a teenager in the room, so I think you know there are some people who are uncomfortable and justifiably so, so there probably has to be a balance I do think that this is extreme, and that's why this is such a a international now international story, just because uh this is an unusual situation taken to extremes, and the response is extreme, and nobody really knows how to process it on the outside.
0: Yeah, it's a real tough uh, situation at this point uh, because, you know, like you said, you're putting all this stuff on the child. But I was watching MLB Network once again last night, and the reporter came on during the Padres spring training game and mentioned that when she was reporting with the Nationals, she mentioned that uh, the players loved having uh, his son Drake around the team. They thought he was like their 26th guy. He was very polite, very well-trained. And another thing that I'm going to ask you about is, you know, LaRoche having to focus on his swing and stuff like that, but also having a parent and help homeschool and, you know, make your kid lunch and stuff like that is definitely hard to juggle baseball and his son despite being a good kid overall.
5: Well, when LaRoche was with the Nationals, he had a better season, you know, and that's where it gets to the point about performance. Uh, You know, he was a fixture at first base, he was, you know, a leader of a playoff team, and so. Uh, you know, and, and apparently, you know, from what I've seen, nothing is, you know, LaRoche isn't a bad person or a bad teammate. Uh, apparently, he's a good teammate if he's gotten this much uh, support from this uh, from the White Sox, but. Uh, you know when you're when you're having a good season and you're helping lead a playoff team, that's a lot different from having a a pretty rough season and uh, you know being in, a, in a, a team that finished under 500 when there were expectations. And now the spring he's had back problems too. So uh, you know yeah, that's that's what everybody thought was the original reason for his retirement. It was that he had a bad season, and now his back locked up early in spring, and he just doesn't want to go to rehab anymore because he thinks he's at the end of the line. And so this uh, the situation when I was Kid kind of blindsided a lot of people who were expecting it was just kind of a natural. Oh, you know, maybe a faster decline than people anticipated, but the yeah. a decline nevertheless. So that's where I think performance comes into it. He hadn't quite earned the credibility to really have things his way in the White Sox clubhouse, but apparently, you know, some of his teammates thought that he had to earn the credibility, and uh, that's why I think there's this, this really uneven uh, presence in the White Sox locker room that is really being ironed out in public in front of everybody.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that pretty much wraps it up. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about the whole... LaRoche Saga. It was a real pleasure, Jim. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Jim Algris from the Southside Sox. You can read his baseball blog online at Southside Sox or follow him on Twitter, once again at Southside Sox. But that pretty much wraps it up here for Around the Diamond on CKDJ 1079. Tune in next Saturday at 5. It's going to be awesome. Have a nice night. Tune in to Around the Diamond next Saturday for an intense look on your Ottawa champions and everything baseball.